how do you move a people from basically their fallen Gentile, know nothing about the church, and get them ready to restore priesthood keys and temple ordinances and everything that's going to come? A lot of faith. And, and even think about part of what you're going to ask this group of people to do. You're going to ask them to move from their, from their comfortable homes, first of all, in New York, to go down to the Western Reserve, which is Ohio. And then you're going to ask them to pack up again and have a lot of them go to Missouri. And then you're going to ask them to hang in there while they get mobbed. And then they're going to be driven through to the counties north. And then they're finished being driven out of Kirtland. Now they're gathering in, in northwestern Missouri, and then they're going to be mobbed and burned out again, and then they're going to drag all the way back across the face of Missouri to found in a swamp, a city in Illinois, and we're just going to be there only about seven years before we're mobbed out of there again at Cannon Point and gunfire and all that kind of stuff, and then make the long trek across uh, to Utah and then starve to death for the first two years when you haven't got enough food. Uh, so you've got people trying to eat the roots of <coughs> ugly little plants. I mean, just how do you prepare people for all of that? And in the midst, they build a couple of temples and uh, they're, they're saving their kindred dead. As they're, when we get to Nauvoo, we're going to talk about the, 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 the two most important activities that ever happened in Nauvoo. Funerals and baptism for the dead. Gives you an idea of what Nauvoo was. That was it. Funerals and baptism for the dead. So, so how do you get people ready? And then conversely, uh, Rick, we could probably turn, hit the air conditioning before I have people start ice cubing on me. I'm fine because I'm walking. Thank you. Um, let's turn it off. Okay, so then I thought about us, and here we are, as, as Latter-day Saints, aren't we basically on the same journey, each one of us, to take us from fallen man and woman to how do we get to the point where we can receive ordinances and sacrifice, and so it is our journey, okay? So, by the way, how many have ever been, how many climbed Angels Landing? Ah, uh, Okay. For those, of, for those of you who don't know, this is, this is Angel's Landing in Utah, yeah. at, at, in Zion, and uh, I think I've climbed it about three times. It's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's awesome. Go straight that picture up so you can see how steep that climb really is. So you get a chance to see all of that? Yeah, that's, that's an amazing deal. Yeah. If it were straight up, you'd see how steep that climb is. Yeah, it doesn't look like she's very tall. Oh yeah, yeah. She, she, she's about twelve hundred feet up. You're looking down, and the cars are like little tiny things down there. Okay, I wanted to start with a quote uh, by uh, Elder Lewis. In the light of overwhelming possibilities, it's with awe and circumspection that we should conduct our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. <coughs> Is that a hard concept for us to get our head around? You look at the mean people around us, or shallow people, or smart people, or dumb people, or whatever it is, and he's saying, these are all, these are all immortals, and we're surrounded by them. Okay? Isn't yeah, that awesome? Okay, so with that in mind, here's what, here's what I'm really aware of. Each one of us as we go through life, we're, we're kind of two-sided creatures, are we not? <laughs> we, 
we have our immortal side of us, and, and we have our natural man and woman side of us, right? And how, how much of our life is about the battle between these two sides? We're always warring at each other. And, and when we're in church, we're sitting there, we're taking a sacrament, we're really hoping this week will be better. And then as we go through the rest of our week, then we end up doing dumb things and saying dumb things and everything, and then we've got to get back to church to try and, and be that. So is, we're doing this constant, ongoing battle here. Breaking me up. <clears throat> How difficult it is to teach the natural man who comprehends nothing more than that which he sees with the natural eye. Talk to him about angels, heaven, God, immortality, eternal lives, and it's like sounding brass, tinkling cymbal to the ears. It has no music. There is nothing in it that charms his senses, soothes his feelings, attracts his attention, or engages his affections in, affections in the least. You ever been through that experience? Have you ever tried to explain some of the most powerful, salient parts of the gospel to somebody who just doesn't get it? What's that like? Frustrating? Yeah, kind of missionary experiences kind of thing. Okay. You ever had that experience of trying to explain this to our youth? The wonderful part of this and the wonderful part of this and they give us that look like, well, I guess this is kind of cool. Okay. I just had that experience this morning and the eyes closed and I finally have to invite myself. Are you still there? Yeah, because they just don't... I remember trying to explain it once to a lady that, was, that wanted to know what we did in our temples. And I, and I went through the process of saying think about all these people that if we if we believe, because she believed that baptism was essential to salvation. You need to be baptized. Well what about those that have that never had a chance to be baptized? They lived in the dark ages, they never saw them heard the name of Christ or anything. How about them? Well I guess they're just lost. Well what about and I went through this whole process of baptisms for the dead and how that works. And she just kept looking at me like, you're baptizing dead people? <laughs> oh, four and a behalf of So for someone who's not yet, she just, the idea of this was just too big a deal. Yeah. But also sometimes it's a matter of vocabulary. As Mormons, we have a very unique vocabulary. But if you've ever talked to like a cardinal or someone deep ingrained in another religion, they start to use vocabulary that we don't know, but yeah. we, we do the same thing to them. And we do the same thing to natural, to what we would call the natural man. I've known people who were very celestial people, who were afraid they were going to be too much, do too much righteousness, they might end up where the righteous were. But they would help, and they would cooperate with the government, with the goals of the military. They, they wanted... They, they, some of them believe in America. Some of them actually believe stronger in Christianity than we do because they're more afraid of it than we are. But it's, it's a vocabulary. I think it is. And, and part of the vocabulary is also trying to explain concepts that we've come to love and embrace, and yet we're trying to explain it to people who are just not in that place yet. And you just get this sense, this gap, between those truths that have come to us. Because we, we, mix, we mix feelings and actual things we do, we mix together in the same sentence. Yeah. And to us, we know when the word means this is how I feel about something. Right. And we know which words are this is something we do. And sometimes the natural man is just trying to figure out, like, what do you do, you know? That, that's why I'm always amazed, for instance, when we get into the abortion debate... And we're trying to, on one side, say, but we're trying to save a life. But it's about a woman's freedom to choose and, and choose what she does with her body. And you hear emotional things on both sides. It's about freedom. No, it's about life. No, it's about freedom. Yes, both of those things are there. But it's just, so, so we have this battle. And not only that, I think we have this battle inside of us. Do we not? And it's always a struggle to say, how do we become who we want to become, and it just seems like we never quite get there. 
And then we mourn all those struggles that we have. Isn't this tied into that promise of the lamb and the lion, kind of within ourselves? Yeah, she's talking about the lamb and the lion. Uh, and, and, and if we jump from there, because we look at the we look at Isaiah, and he talks about that in the last days, the the the, the lamb will lie, lie down with the lion, right? And we think this is about animals. And it's really not. It may symbolically be about animals, and they, they may actually do it. But what's it? But what lion is lying down with what lamb? Our lion lies down with our lamb. And lion-like countries are lying down with lamb-like countries. It's, it has to do with a much different level. That, and that is the struggle of the natural man. It's this journey that, that we're on. And every step along the way, this first part of Doctrine and Covenants, you watch the Lord trying to say, what experiences, what revelation, what information do they need to move them from where they are here, to get them to this stage, to get them to this stage, to take this group of people and put them in a temple six years later, receiving angels and ordinances and keys, how do we get them there? Well, that's kind of what I want to, the, the balance what I want to talk about today if we can. Okay, let's, let's start off, if we can, let's turn to uh, DNC 43. It's one that we've gone, we've gone over, but we're kind of doing a bit of a uh, redo today. All right. Who's, who wants to read uh, 15 and 16? We got it. Okay, 20. And again I say, Hearken, ye elders of my church, whom I have appointed, ye are not sent forth to be taught, but to teach the children of men the things which I have put into your hands by the power of my Spirit. Okay, now let's stop for a second. When we, when we are talking to non-members, when we're, when we're talking to kids that don't have the knowledge that you have, you're being taught, you're being sent out to do what? Teach. Now, let, let, let's stop for a second. Let's say, when we look at all the reasons why we don't always teach, what if you're going to go out and you're going to start talking to a non-member who's going to ask you about polygamy? You ready to talk about why we practice polygamy? I understand up till uh, 1989, you guys didn't uh, give blacks a priesthood. Why is that? You ready for with an answer on that? Yeah, 1978. 1978. What did I say? 1978. <laughs> <laughs> for one thing, you have your date wrong. <laughs> 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 nice try. Come back when you get your date right. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready with those answers? And so a lot of times we kind of shy away from putting ourselves out there because people might what? Ask us questions. And I'm sure I'm sure I'm ready to answer those questions. Why not? Because we, because we may not have our own answers for that. Number one. And then number two, we're not sure how to explain it. And then number three, because somebody asks us about the church. We're afraid that we have to say everything. everything, and I got to get you ready to take the see the missionaries like right now. So here's our how about sight? You're going. Ah, I just wanted to know oh, a little. Okay, so there's a lot of reasons why we don't teach. Yeah. I just going back to that part about when you're not called to be taught but to teach. Yeah. When I was a missionary, we were we had an appointment to go and to teach a family. But when we arrived, they uh, there was a whole bunch of people in the room and had all these Bibles sitting on a table. And there. And uh, <laughs> and I looked at those and I just told them, I said, you know what? I said, We're not we're not here to be argumentative. 
But we were sent forth to teach. Yeah. And we would love to teach you about a living prophet on the earth and about about uh, the Savior. And uh, if you would be interested in, in knowing more about that, no, we'll, we'll be happy no. to teach it. So we're here to save your soul. And I said, well, thank you very much. It's been it's been nice to meet you, and uh, we have to leave. I wish I, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> I, I rolled into gun with gun blazing. <laughs> Got my head shot off. <laughs> okay, I, I think so. But but now listen listen to what he's going to say to each of us, and I want you to and listen to the, there's there's two or three steps here that is part of this process of discipleship that moves us from where we are to where he intends us to be, where we can teach with great power to the rest of the nations around us. Okay, next first. And you are to be taught from on high. Okay, now, here's the, here's the first step. You're going to be taught where first? From on high. From on high. Okay, so first of all, you're going to, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you information. I'm going to bless you with commandments. He says, so there's step number one. You have to be taught from on high. Step two. Sanctify yourselves, and you shall be endowed with power. Oh, okay. Now, how do you do that? Can you really sanctify yourself? Well, I've been endowed with power. Okay, but how did you sanctify yourself? How does that sanctification process work? How do we do it? Okay. Humility. Repenting. Those are things that we can do, right? Coming to the sacrament so that every week we have a chance to come in and be cleansed and say, yep, bad week again. I renew my covenants. Okay? So, now, in this process then, he says, sanctify yourself. That's how you will be endowed with power. Okay? That you may what? Yeah, give even a... Okay, now, here's, here's the next step here. This is... If we go back here to, to verses 8 and 9, you'll see how this process worked. I give a new commandment. When you're assembled together, you shall instruct and edify each other, that ye may know how to act and direct my church, and how to act on the points of my law and my commandments. Now, here's the process. Ready? You'll be instructed by instructed in the law of my church. Now, we were just asking, can you sanctify yourself? No. What's the next line? How are we sanctified? We are sanctified by that which ye have received. So as we accept, we're taught. So if you sit, if you sit in a gospel doctrine class and you're hearing something and it feels good to you, what's going on here? I'm being sanctified. I'm being cleansed. Let, let's say that, that a speaker stands up here, or somebody bears their testimony, and and all at once there's something about it, they're kind of a boring sacrament reading, and suddenly they say something, and you go, who? What? what was, and you hear something, and it connects, and you feel it. What's just happened? It's part of the sanctification process. You're being cleansed. You're being prepared. You're being moved. Let's say you sit in, in uh, and you're watching general conference. And Elder Holland then sits down and you go, Wow! That one. Wow! What was that? Well, what just happened? It's part of that sanctification process. It's part of the clearing process. It's part of the cleaning process. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we just sit, it feels like we're just kind of doing the same thing to go to our meetings. And by the way, isn't that one of the reasons why we need to go to our meetings? Because you're missing out on sanctification. Because you're going to be sanctified by that which he shall receive. And then a very 
interesting thing occurs. When we are then sanctified, when we're then filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit is teaching you, what does the Spirit usually do with you at that point? Yeah, it's going to tell you to do something. And ye shall bind yourself to act in all holiness before me. What's another word for bind? Covenant. Seal. You then, so you're sitting somewhere in a meeting, the Spirit speaks, you're being sanctified based on what you're feeling, you will have this natural inclination to say, based on this, I must do this. I need to talk to that person. I need to be more involved here. I need to do something. And what he's saying is, is that when you sit there and you get it, and you say, okay, Father, I know what I need to do. What did you just do? You made a covenant. You bound yourself to act. So we hit meetings, fill with the Spirit, know what we need to do. We bind ourselves to act. Okay? In all holiness before me. Um, now, I, I, I love this term. If you look, uh, I, I put it in here. For those of you who can jump over, if you hop over to uh, the book of Jeremiah, here's here's Jeremiah. Sometimes we think of these prophets, and it's like, wow, they just went out and did these prophet things. Okay, Jeremiah was supposed to preach to a pretty nasty classroom full of. Uh, Jews that really didn't want to do what they were supposed to do. And so he says, Oh Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I'm in derision daily, for everyone mocketh me. My CTRAs are not listening to me at all. <laughs> and if you try to teach this group of 13-year-olds lately, okay, I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil. Yeah, that went over really well in Jerusalem. It's kind of like, you know, the people of King Noah. You know, you're not worth a spit here, and you're out of here, and, and they're just not happy. Um, because the word of the Lord hath made me a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. This is not the calling I was looking for. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. I'm really done. I'm not going back to that Sunday school class. I've had enough. Uh, if I have to try and teach those deacons one more time, I'm going to slip my wrist. And actually, the better way to do it would be to not show up anymore. So I will just not, I'm just out of here. Okay? Then I said, I won't, I won't make mention of him anymore. I won't speak anymore in his name. But here's the problem. For those of you who have been sanctified, who have felt that spirit come into your heart. And I love this. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay silent. I had, I had to act. His word was like fire in my bones. And I could not stay. I had to get up and Anybody ever had that experience? Yes. I can't. I, I, you're sitting this in, in fast testimony meeting, and you're going, "Look, I've borne my testimony the last couple of times. I'm, I'm no longer, you know, I'm going to shut up this time." Or everybody else bears their testimony, and I don't because I'm not very good at it, and I always look dumb. And then what happens? 
His word is like what? Fire. And I cannot forbear. And I cannot stay. I must get up and talk to what it is that I know. Isn't that great? That's the sanctification process. I have to think that in the middle of March, late February and March, as, as the saints are streaming out of Nauvoo, and it has rained every day in Iowa for a month, and the wagons are so stuck in the mud that they just cannot get out of the Iowa mud. At some and and their time, especially for those that are just on the other side, can still look over there. They're within shouting distance of their house across the river in Nauvoo. Don't you think they wanted to just not speak his name anymore and go home? What, what people that have laid the foundation of, of this church? And what about the people that lay the foundation every day? Okay. All right. Now, let me ask you then. How hard is this journey? How tough is this discipleship, cleansing, and sanctifying, and acting? It can be a tough emotion. Why? Because it gets feelings and things that you know, somehow I don't know how to deal with. The Lord does have a way of taking those things that we struggle with the most and stretching us, right? If there's an area that we struggle with, He's going to put us in those situations specifically that stretch that. And we're saying, I'm really weary and I'd rather not speak His name anymore. I like how C.S. Lewis puts, He doesn't want to just mess with our natural self. He wants to kill it. Yeah, He's not out to just kind of tweak things a little bit, but He says, I want to completely stomp out the natural man and woman. We don't want to be stumped, do we? We really, really don't. Okay? Now, how does this process work? Well, I've used this example before. And let me, let me use this again, because uh, I think it's been about a year since I used it. For some of you, this will be familiar. But let me just uh, explain again. Uh, anybody seen the movie Apollo 13? Okay. You remember that this deal, this is like the third moonshot, and they kind of got this down and everything. And they're, and they're heading towards, they just have escaped Earth's gravity, and now they're on their way to the moon, and what happens? There's an explosion in the, in the command module. Uh, that blows up and they are leaking oxygen out of the command module where the, where the three astronauts live. Now what do we do? They didn't have enough energy, even though they just left the earth, they don't have enough energy to like put on the air brakes, turn the thing around and go home. Because there's only enough fuel in these things that once you get going, it's in space. It just keeps on going. So literally the decision was made, first of all, we'll have to get the guys out of this command module, and we've got to get them into the little lunar module that's supposed to go down, and land. so they're going to live in this thing. And then, and then the decision is that what we're going to end up doing is then having them stay in this little lunar module, and we're going to ride it all the way, and we're going to slingshot around the moon. So it's just going to go out there, it's going to come around the moon, which will be gravitational pull with it a bit, and that will give them enough energy to then come back to Earth. Which is basically what they did to be able to come back down. Now, here's, here's the challenge to this. We're, we're, we're now, they're, they're flying at a high rate of speed, here comes the Earth. The problem is, is they're coming... Coming towards the earth, if, what happens if we come in too steep? You'll burn up. 
Get that out in the atmosphere and the thing will burn up. What happens if they come in too shallow? Just get off. So there's a narrow range. And there's a great part of the movie, you know, where they're trying to do a little controlled burn to make sure because they don't have the rocks that they thought they were going to be carrying from the moon. So they've got to make a little corrective burn to stay right in that corridor because they're not going to come into the Earth's atmosphere. Okay? Now, I think that's fascinating because once it has the momentum, now what is it going to take for them to make sure they stay right in the corridor? Not too much, not too little. Just little corrective burns from time to time, right? You start to go a little bit light. We need to move ourselves down in here. Come in too shallow or too deep. We need to come up just a little bit. Okay? Isn't that what sacramenia is for? You come to the end of a week and you need a little corrective burn. One way or the other. Because the momentum is there. Now you just have to be corrected as you go through this corridor. Does that make sense? Okay, now. Let, let me... So here's how this works. This is the disciples' journey. This is the journey that puts you with enough thrust that you're firing across, so now we just need little corrective burns along the way. But the first thing for, uh, for the, for the uh, ship, uh, for, the, for the spaceship to get out of Earth's <coughs> atmosphere, how much thrust and power does it take to get it off the ground? Oh, they're just going to take all kinds of... We've got to push this whole thing off the Earth, and then it's got to escape what? And the gravitational pull of the Earth. Okay, now, when you first come into the church, or you first become converted, in essence you are a fallen man and woman. What kind of thrust does it take to get you out of the gravitational pull of Lucifer in the world? A lot. Sometimes you've got to be blasted out of there, right? So it takes a lot of pull and and everything, all this major thrust to say I've got to somehow get myself out of his gravitational pull. Does that make sense? Okay, now, once you get past the main part of this, there's still a lot of pull on you, but now you're starting to move. What keeps you going forward? Yeah, there's going to be what we have here. my experience, when the Spirit is speaking to you and sanctifying you, and it says do things, now you go out and serve. It's like the acts of service, and it's acts of sacrifice. Okay? Now as we do that, what happens is, is that piece by piece, step by step, we're kind of, now we're kind of flying through space, we pull ourselves away from the gravitational pull of Lucifer. We're now moving. Now, are we done yet? Now we've turned into good people, right? This is kind of a terrestrial world here. We're, we're doing acts of service. How many... How many other churches and things like that do wonderful acts of service? Almost all of them. That's the purpose of trying to be good people. And they are. Wonderful people. And they're reaching out for one another and all that. Okay? Now, is that enough? No. So here comes the next stage. Prison Irene. All of us can remember times in our life when we felt a pull to be better than we were, to rise higher. The feeling may have come at about the same time we had the thought there must be something better in life. Why are you coming out to institute every Monday morning? You're seeking. 
There's a pull to say, I want to be better than I am. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be more. How often do you sit in a general conference and you think, I just wish I was better. Don't, aren't there times when you look around in church or you go to the temple or places and you just think, which of them kind of like them? I'm not them yet. You just get this pull to want to be better. You ever had that experience? Okay. Now, why would anybody fight that? If there's a pull to be better, why would anybody fight? They do. Part of it is it's going to take work because that spirit is going to bind us and say, and here's something else you need to do. Okay? Why else might we fight that pull? Because it is a pull. Turn, on, turn our back on things that we've had in the past all the fun, enjoyable, friends, uh, lifestyle, going to the lake on Sunday, whatever. That there are things that we took joy in over here, and we have this feeling that if we keep going here, we're going to leave that stuff behind. And oftentimes we will. Yeah. And not only that, not just stuff, but people. Family. I may have to change friends and relationships because they are still bound up in this stuff over here. Yeah. A sense that um, no matter how hard you try, you can't get Sometimes there's an internal fear that says, I don't think I'm going to make it. There's something wrong with me. It's instinctively that says, you're not going to make it. And yet the fascinating part about this is, if you see this for what it is, that the, uh, for those, for those uh, Apollo astronauts sitting cramped in the little lunar module, they're just cruising along. And then as they got closer to the earth, did they do one more thing that enabled them to pick up speed? No. Why did they start to pick up speed as they got closer to the earth? The gravitational pull of the earth pulls them home. There wasn't one more thing they did. They just had to stay on the course. If we're in the right course, the earth would pull them home. And sometimes we get caught up in, I have to do more, I have to do... No, you don't have to do more. You just have to stay on course. He pulls you home. The staying on course is always doing more. Because you've got to be... You, got to you, you do. There's, there's going to be a little tweaking. I need to change this, I need to change that. I need to do this a little better, I need to stop doing that. You're right, we have these little course corrections within that. But still, it's an idea to us that says, all the course directions in the world is not going to pull me home. It's not going to land me in the ocean. All the course directions in the world will make sure that I stay on the right track, because how come I'm going to get home? He's going to pull me in. And by the way, this pull is called what? Grace. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but it's there. It pulls you home. And it's powered by the atonement. Yeah. And it seems like the closer you get to the earth, then the fewer course corrections you're going to need to make. You look at the, like the apostles and you think, man, they are so awesome. What do they have to repent of? I'm sure they have stuff. They probably have things that, you know, mistakes that they made. But you kind of get to that level of living or that way of living, and it's just like, Yes, because it picks up speed, it picks up momentum. Because the closer you get to the earth, the head, the, the stronger the pull is, right? Okay, so that's what I call divine gravity. The Savior Himself has a divine gravity to them, and, and He'll say it over and over. He says it a hundred different ways in the Scriptures. Does He not? I am like a hand of what? Wanted to gather you as chicks. Want to gather you in. Okay? Come home. Come to me. Come and see. Follow me. All the way through, this divine gravity is, is reaching out to us. Elder Irene says, The feeling that you were meant to be better 
perhaps in a way you haven't yet discovered, comes from our Heavenly Father. The opposing thought that the upward pull is an illusion, that the divine gravity is an illusion, comes from the adversary who wants us all to be miserable as he is. And so part of what happens here is that this, this journey of discipleship is hard at first as we break loose of the gravitational pull of Lucifer. And then we cruise for a little while and we're doing things, but then the closer we start to get, it begins to pull us and the pull is stronger and we're moving a little faster and we're doing course corrections but maybe not having to do them quite as often because once we're moving in the right direction it's easier to stay going there's a physics rule that says this objects that stay in motion tend to stay moving unless something acts on them Heavenly Father does more than allow you to feel that upward pull. He has provided a, a way to rise higher, almost beyond our limits of imagination. Not by our own powers alone, which would not be nearly enough. There's not enough course corrections. But through the power of the atonement of His Son. And the divine power of grace that pulls us on. So again, I think that this trip of discipleship is harder on the front end, but it gets easier over time. What about where it says the very elect will be deceived? Ah, now, as we get closer here, yeah, she said, what about the fact that the very elect will be deceived? What, what would it take if the pull... Th think about Lucifer in the pre-existence. Here, he's, he's cruising pretty well. He's an intelligent, powerful... Being. He's a son of the morning, which one day we'll learn all of what that means. He's a son of the morning, not the son. He's a son. There are other sons of the morning. Apparently he was one of them. Tells you something about some kind of counsel or power or whatever he was doing. So he had a lot of momentum. What would it take to like deceive something like that? Overcorrect. Something like this. I'm not even going there, Kevin. Thank you very much. Well, I'd like to ask you for an example of what it would take. Yeah, in other words, there's going to be something that is going to come along that may, maybe will try to blow us out of the water kind of thing that just shakes our whole thing. Yeah. Well, the, the more simple one that I think about than those big, you know, false prophet kind of things is just the fact that, you know, all is well in Zion. We're, we're fine. We're going good. And, I remember a few years ago, the state president was giving some analogies. We had a lot of converts come in in a short time. And the missionaries worked so hard and dragged them over to the river and finally throw them in. We're all on the other side of If they're strong, they can swim across. And his, his whole thing yeah. is, you know, like Elder Mukhtar uh, from Conference, you know, stop it. Stop judging. Stop doing these things. Let's love each other. Let's be inspiring people that are trying to build. Let's throw ropes out and help them cross. Let's get them. Yeah. That's right. If they're weak and they're not going to make it, then hey, they just weren't cut out for this anyway. Yeah, I th and, and the other thing that I think happens a lot is I, I think we stop course correcting. I'm doing so well, I don't need to worry about course correction, or I can correct later. I think of the example that's taught many times in our lessons about how, if, how the line, you know, here we are and the line is just a little bit off, but when it starts to go out, when you're out here, it's way Yeah. Right. It's kind of the same thing. And if we have a course corrected, even if we're saying, you know what, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this stuff, but somewhere as I get closer there, I'll, I'll pull it back in. Not a problem. Yeah, because I I got all this momentum and I'm who I am. By the way, I have pioneer stock. Have I ever told you that? <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's the opposing force to this divine gravity. Absolutely. That, and if we if we lose sight of the fact that, that there's always a pull of the world trying to pull us back if we're not careful, that great, great point. I think we consider ourselves drifting in space, but we're not drifting. We're no. traveling over 17,000 miles an hour. Yeah. So that's a, can I say that? Because you can think you're just kind of floating along in space, and it seems like every week you're just floating along. 
long, and he's saying, no, you're moving at 17,000 miles an hour, which is how fast that thing goes. So you're moving pretty fast, which, so by the way, you're talking about something comes along, Ted, at 17,000 miles an hour, you run into a rock. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. So that's why you've got to have the course directions to, to make sure you're staying on here by people that say, you need to course correct. You don't know, but there are some rocks out there. There's a little asteroid belt or something. Stop. Yeah. Now, if you stop... Now, by the way, so can't you just stop? Well, well, what happens if you just stop? I'm done. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to stop in my progression. I'm just going to stop. What happens? There's still a pull, isn't there? From the other side. They'll pull you back. Okay? All right. Couple minutes left. By the way, this is the term of what I call at one mint. That's the becoming one. It's, it's, it's as a disciple becoming one with the person that we're getting close to, and he's drawing us in so that so that we will we Father make them one in me as I am in thee, so that we may be one. And and one people is called on this earth Zion. That's an one, right? Oh, just, I guess a question goes back to last semester. I feel like kind of relates here, but and you've talked about the difference of why sometimes the sword and sometimes the miracle. You and I have talked about that a lot. Yeah. And the, the, the saints were going through all this. I mean, why can't why, why can we part the Red Sea? I mean, why did it have to rain 30 days? Why did it have to be mud and snow? And, you know, How come we got mobs? You know, mobs. You know, that, that cannot be stopped. You know, where, where's that gravitational pull? Obviously, there's lots of answers, but I mean, what's, why does this happen in our individual lives today? When we're, we're trying to do what's right, all of a sudden, bam, you know, something crazy happens. And I'm having to course correct, and it wasn't even my fault. Yeah. Somebody else came in and they did this thing to me or that thing to me, and I'm having to make these corrections. And the immortal 13 year old cry, it's not fair. <laughs> but, but because it shouldn't have had to happen. My rock. It wasn't. That's right. I'm trying to avoid rocks, and they're putting rocks in my way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We do get much better at correcting, and we keep waiting for the Lord to to pull those out of the way, and He does not do it. It's not happening. Yeah. I think too. We all have those aha moments where we realize, in one characteristic or another, we're not what we thought we were. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if you can't see a problem, you don't fix it. So if we don't see ourselves as we really are. That's right. And and with the idea, we don't see ourselves as we really are, but we also don't see what? What he intends us to be. So about half the time when the Lord says, If you come unto me, I'll show unto you your weaknesses. I'll turn on the spotlight. You will see you for how you really are. And you'll go. I don't want to be that. And he says, but if you look through the glass darkly, one day you'll see face to face. You'll see you as you really are and what I have in store for you. And suddenly that's a much different thing. Just keep course correcting. Eventually your vision will click. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say two things about that. One is President Benson said life isn't fair. <laughs> and that uh, Secondly, when you first used that thing about uh, the stuff in mud, yeah, I was thinking that that same thought. Why? Why would they be stuck in the mud? And the thought came to me: This is Zion. That they should be on their way. There should be no mud. There should be sunshine. That The thought I had is: I will prove my people. I will try them in all things. Yeah. And in turn, he says, "Prove me now herewith." Yeah, but I don't. I don't want to be proved. Doesn't matter what you want. Yeah. Going back to the analogy of the rocks, aren't those like tests? They are. That will be tested. And, and but don't we want to say at some point, "I've been tested enough. I don't need more rocks." You see my life lately. <laughs> I don't need more rocks. And he says, yeah. <laughs> All right. Final point here. I just want to finish then with uh, Neil Maxwell. 
if you haven't had a chance to read the article that I sent out, read it slowly. And then read it again, slowly. You have to, with Neil Maxwell, you have to kind of take each paragraph as a sermon all by itself. Many subsequent and subtle moments have been at least important to me as that defining moment in Okinawa. He talks about the story of being on the beachhead in Okinawa. And he watched as, as enemy gunners, he's laying there in a foxhole, and he saw enemy gunners, and, and they hit, the artillery hit right in front of him, then it hit behind him. And then it hit a little closer to the front, and a little closer to him from behind. And he could tell that they were sighting in. And they were, and so they went here, right in front of him, right behind him. The next one's coming at me. And, he said, and that's the moment where he said, I'm promising the Lord everything. <laughs> like crazy. He's just, and so he's promising you please, and I'll be really good, and all that, and everything. And then he's just, and the next one didn't come. Now i got to do it. Yeah, now I've got to follow through. <laughs> Unlike the roar and crash of artillery since that delivering silence, these smaller moments involve the Lord's periodic whisperings in my mind. Over the years, these whisperings, the course corrections, the counsel, have guided and reassured me. They gave me from time to time, in the words of the prophet Joseph, sudden strokes of ideas and occasionally the pure flow of intelligence. These moments are as real for me as what happened on Okinawa. These are inward things, often taking the form of a directing phrase. I have found that the Lord gives more instructions than explanations. There's my challenge to you for the summer. That you are you're on a course. You are moving at 17,000 miles an hour. Do course corrections from time to time. Keep yourself in that, in that zone. But know that you're also moving. That you are fabulous in terms of who you are and the sacrifices you do and the lives that you live. And you inspire more people than you know by the things that you do. Even at times when it feels like things aren't fair, you're being watched by a lot of people, more than you know. I bearing my testimony that the Lord has a lot in store for you if you'll just stay on track and let Him pull you on as He has wanted to do. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Everybody good Everybody sign cards? Okay. Kevin, we got something for you, Kevin. Sukhaj, you don't have to read the mail. Okay. Thank you, So I can get here earlier every time. Oh, just a little. We love you. Oh, it's a. There is something inspiring and sublime about the little forget-me-not flower. So this is a present of birthday. It's five petals. Give pause to consider five things we would be wise never to forget. Forget not to be patient with yourself. Forget not the importance of good sacrifices. Forget not to be happy now. Forget not the why of the gospel. And forget not that the Lord loves you. Isn't that pretty? Thank you very much. I just are really grateful for these people and for Kevin for all of his um, preparation and planning and time he gives. Can I ask something? There, there, there are two of these. Like one of these is probably for Marlo. 
Um, the other one is that we have an untold person that has kind of labored way behind the scenes. I'd like to give this one to Sean Terry. That'd be okay. He's been quietly babysitting all, all year long without me. So Shari, if you're listening, I have I have something for you. She's not here. Is her husband here? No, I saw her earlier, didn't I? She's in there. She's in there. They don't turn it off, but they have a lot of kids because it just adds time. So it's not off. Shari came came to me and just said. I know you need a babysitter. I'd like, could I do that for you? Wow. Knowing that she would miss out on a year's full of institute. So she is, that's magnificent. praise on her, that would be good. Okay, Chow's waiting back. Again, even if you didn't uh, bring anything, please go through and get something and just have a chance to visit for a few minutes. Thank you. And how did you show just parts at a time on this? What's that? When you showed just the first paragraph, mm -hmm. how, how did you do that? Uh, there's a... The, I, I, both on PowerPoint when I do it on my computer, mm -hmm. and if I actually do it on the iPad, there's a way to build it, it's called building it out. Mm -hmm. Let's see if I can. Like for instance, if I've got this one, and I click that one, it's going to give me an, an option for animate. Uh -huh. And when you, when you ask it to animate, then you're going to say, how do I want it to come in, or how do I want it to leave? So just a couple of steps. So what does dissolve mean? Take away part uh -huh. of it? Yeah, if you're going to build in, it would come in like... You can either have it... Okay, it's completely gone. Yeah, so it's going to come in. And part of it is, is options. Do you want it to come through right justify, what kind of effects? Delivery by paragraph, by group, and what I do is by paragraph. Mm. Okay. I 
I've got some more vocabulary to learn then. Yeah, you, to speak you, the language. Of this. Yeah, you, well, you just kind of play with it a little bit, mm-hmm. and you'll be surprised how many ways that you can do that. It works really well. Yeah, it does. I can do it faster on my computer. It's a little bit easier, but but when I when I send myself an email, mm-hmm. and then I open this up under my email, it opens up all of that. Yeah. So. So you do it first on your uh, computer? I used to do it on my computer and then send it to me and then open it under Keynote. What program are you using? What program are you running? It's this one's called LDS Scriptures. Is that the same one on the church's website? No. Okay, nope. well, there's a lot of... Okay. The, the one on the church... I have that on my phone, but the, I don't the, know. The, church is, the, chur- the one on the church's website, I think, is... I might, I might have taken it off. It has, like, the Angel Moroni, I think, okay, on it. Okay, did you pay for this? Yeah, this yeah, it, it wasn't expensive. It was like, See, ten, that, it was like 10 bucks. Okay, it has, the, like, the golden plates. It has the golden plates on it, yeah. So that is I can, that a Mac or a... Um, it's an iPad, iPhone app. Okay. And, and it's just it's really good that way. And like I say, you can. Yes. You know, we we watched that one day and said we've been trying to do that all along. I know. Yeah, to, to be able to put a quote in the middle of you it. You can't put it in your scriptures. No. But to have it that way. Okay. And not not only that, to then say, okay, Jeremiah yeah. twenty, and it goes yes. right to Jeremiah. Yes, yes, How yes, great yes, is yes, that? Yes. Okay. Golden plates icon. Right. He needs a recorder. Oh, it's still going too, isn't it? 